Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Drops another one, 65 to 75 at Mackey Arena to the Purdue Boilermakers. Um, and Rod, they go down only three at the half. Um, uh, and they were in this game for the most part right up until three minutes or two, two to three minutes left. And then they started throwing the ball all over the place. Um, what's your takeaways from this one? Well, this is where I'm at. Um, I'm as frustrated and get as angry watching this as probably anybody else does. But I find it funny. I took while waiting for you to call so we could start recording. I, I took a look at my Twitter feed, which is comprised of a lot of Michigan State basketball fans, people who talk about the game a lot. And, um, there's a lot of talk about lineups and why was this guy playing instead of that guy and that's coaching malpractice and all the rest. I think we're past uh, that at this point. <laughs> here's the bottom line. The bottom line that I think we all need to accept is that this basketball team is not good. Not by Big Ten standards, Michigan State, especially Michigan State standards, but even Big Ten standards. It's not a good basketball team, okay? And by that, I want to be careful to make my my point here. It is not that I believe that these players, at least some of them, do not have the the potential to be much better than they've played this year. I I know that they do because in some of their some of these cases, I've seen them be better mm-hmm. than this. Um, but they're not good now. And I think it's a combination of things that we've talked about many, many times. I think the completely disjointed nature of the season combined with how Michigan State's program operates, how they develop players and a team over the course of a season is a big part of this. I also think that you've got um, a psychological component to it, that once things go badly for this team, they just don't have – the mentality, at least right now, to pull out of it. Mm-hmm. And and so I think it's those things um, and more, too. But but the fact is, right now, whatever the causes are, this is not a good basketball team. And listen, I saw people complaining about Thomas Kithier playing the last few minutes. Why wasn't Julius Marble? Julius Marble 
I don't know if he was healthy. He came out of the game initially because there was a problem with his knee. So I don't know if that's what was going on. And then I see other people talking about Matty Sissoko. Matty had a good few minutes in the first half, but are you serious with that stuff? That you're going to play him in a game, in a tight game you're trying to win? That's your move? I, I just, the point is, there is no answer except that. There's no lineup answer. There's no playing time answer. That's going, you know, Tom, uh, Foster Lawyer could barely play in this game because of his shoulder. So it was heavy minutes for, for Hogard and for Watts. And particularly in Hogard's case, I've seen a few people, uh, in the social media landscape screaming about how Hogard is the future and he should be getting the minutes and he's played better when he's given an opportunity. I don't know what game they're watching. He's been terrible. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to knock the kid. I'm just calling a spade a spade. He's awful. He's not a good basketball player right now. He just doesn't. At any phase of the game, he's not good. This is the worst passing team I've ever seen under Tom Izzo. Maybe period. I'd, I'd have to really think about that with Judd's teams. But they're an awful passing team. They never complete a pass. So rarely do they complete a pass where they hit a shooter in his shooting pocket. Yeah. It's a huge deal. So it's not just about turnovers. It's about can you can you pass the ball? Look at the way Purdue passed. The difference. If you couldn't see the difference, I don't know what to tell you. That's a team-wide thing for Michigan State this year. It's not one guy. It's not just the point guards. It doesn't help that those guys don't do it, but it's everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, defensively, I thought they did some really nice things at times in this game, and then they'd have a, a completely incomprehensible mind freeze. You know, and and get beat on a slip screen, not locate a shooter. They did pretty well with that for the bulk of the game. But there was a, a stretch where Purdue took it from one to seven with a couple threes, both of which were terribly guarded. Um, you know, on and on we go. And so as agitated as I can sound doing this stuff, the reality <laughs> is, and I thought about this while waiting for us to start recording after the game, I really can't get too angry because this is who they are. They're not a good basketball team. I shouldn't have expectations that they're going to beat many people. I think they'll probably pull an upset or two the rest of the way. They'll probably manage to beat somebody. But it's not going to be easy, and they're not going to win very many more games. And and that's just it. And there's there's nothing possible for them to pull out of this because what it would take – would be six days where they can spend four or five of them working on themselves. The condensed nature of the schedule this year, I'd have to look at it to be certain of this. I don't know that Michigan State has ever had a stretch this season, maybe that initial beginning of the Big Ten, where they had as much as like four days off. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've had it once or twice. But but again, typically in a conference season, you'll have a couple six-day stretches where you don't play a game, where you go basically a week without playing. They have not had that. And all that time they were off, remember, they couldn't practice. So Mm -hmm. they got nothing out of that. So there's no way that this is going to change. It just won't. I thought they played with good effort in this game. That was not an issue. Yeah, I was going to say that. It's it's one thing if they're not playing hard, but they are kind of playing hard. They played hard. They played hard. 
They just don't, and they did some good things in this game. They just don't do enough of them. And you saw what happened in the end. You know, they're there. They're in position to maybe get it done. And then you have three straight Joey Hauser turnovers. I don't know if he actually got credited with the last one because it was a bad pass that went off his hands. But, yeah. uh, you know, that's a guy that, remember, Tom Izzo was comparing to Draymond Green as a playmaker. And And by the way, Joey Hauser gave him reason to do that. He saw him all last year as a scout team player. Mm-hmm. He's had like a year and a half with Joey Hauser before this season started. I don't think he was making that up. I just think that it's a variety. Of, again, it's not having practice time, not being able to be sharp, and not Michigan State not being act, not being sharp as a team, not going through the normal Izzo process, and then psychology playing into it. That those moments from Joey Hauser at the end—that's a guy flailing. Mm-hmm. That's a guy absolutely flailing to try to make something happen, and he can't do it. He's not without talent. You saw it at times in this game, but (laughs) it's not happening. So my advice to listeners is don't go into – you can't have the expectations you're used to having. You just can't because there's no rational reason to point to to think, well, they're going to be able to turn it around. Not at this stage. It's too late. There's no, there's no musical chairs with this lineup that's, that's gonna fix this. No, that's, that's my point. I see all this discussion on Twitter and it seriously makes me laugh. Like what, do you really think playing Maddie Sissoko for the last five minutes of that game was gonna make a difference? I don't. Here's what I think would have happened. Um, he would have been blown up defensively. Trevion Williams would have gotten as much or more done because Maddie is not ready to defend in those kind of moments. And offensively, he's not going to give you anything either. I know people, oh, he scored five points. Okay. It was a, he had a nice little run, but you, you see, we've seen enough of Maddie Sissoko. He is not ready to impact. I think there's going to be a time where he is. It is not now. Yeah. yeah. Only, the only credible argument you could make. In my opinion, assuming that Marble was not able to play, if if Marble was able to play, then there's an argument, maybe. Um, but again, Julius Marble, not the most trustworthy guy defensively. In this game, he did okay because Williams kind of is the kind of guy that he can handle a little better than some others. Hmm. Um, but uh, because it's just kind of a strength contest most of the time. Um, but. Uh, if he couldn't play, the only real argument would be to play Bingham. And Markey was terrible in this game. I knew that was coming. You know, he'd been playing better, but this is Marcus Bingham's career. It's, you know, one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. He can't sustain it. And he was bad in this game early, and they never went back to him. So, you know, you could talk about that. You could talk about which one of the point guards who was able to play should have been playing. They were both terrible. So what do you at lineup stuff is so far beyond what ails this team. It's not even worth discussing. It t- it tells me that that there's a denial. There's a level of denial. <laughs> yeah, Those that's exactly that what think, it is. That they think that there's an answer here. There's not. The only answer is basically what Izzo's doing, which is game to game, trying to find a combination that for that game might 
produce results and work. But, but even that, it's, it's tough. It's tough to do it because over the course of a game, these guys have such high variance in their play. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see somebody, Joey Hauser had some really good moments in this game, right? Yeah. yeah. Really good. Shot the ball well, um, you know, was competed on the board some, and then he just blows a tire mentally at winning time. Can't do anything right. You know, the first one is the one that got me and tells me how messed up it is right now. Because the idea of picking up your dribble that far from the basket is so basketball 101 that you don't do, and that's what caused the turnover. He had picked up his dribble, Purdue starts overplaying, which they should, and he had nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a mental mistake, period, on his part. You know, but that's where this team is at. You can have somebody, Aaron Henry, I mean, Jesus. Aaron Henry, moment to moment, you never know if you're going to get a play that makes him look like an NBA wing or one that makes him look like a Horizon League reserve. You just don't know. And I think he played decently in this game, but, you know, again, there were moments where Aaron made mistakes. I don't know. It's just the lineup stuff I find laughable. If, if you want to, if you want to criticize Izzo for, uh, see, I think the bigger thing, and lineups, we talked about it a lot in the last game. I thought strategically they were awful. That you can come at Izzo for. Yet I saw comparatively little of that discussed, which tells me all I need to know about who's watching and who's talking. Mm-hmm. Um, this game, I thought strategically they played it the right way, and lo and behold, they were in the game. Yeah. You know, it worked. It worked to the extent that they were in a position to compete. Had they played it the way they played against Iowa – I'm going to be very inclined to believe that they would have gotten run by 20 plus, mm-hmm. you know? So that stuff you can come at Izzo for. Uh, if you want to come at Izzo for recruiting mistakes, okay. Uh, there's very clearly the Trevion Williams, Marcus Bainham decision has not worked out in Michigan state's favor at all. No. Trevion Williams not. looked really good in East Lansing. And, and that, so that's one where they, they went a certain direction. I understand what the reasons were. There was a there was good reason to think it might be the right move at that time, um, but it hasn't played out that way. As much as Gabe Brown does some things occasionally, it basically came down to Gabe Brown or Dwayne Washington. You might be able to make an argument. That one's a little less clear, but you'd probably go with Dwayne Washington over Gabe Brown. And Dwayne Washington was a kid that was begging to come to Michigan State. Mm. He took more visits to Michigan State than any guy I can ever remember who never got an offer. I mean, it was insane. He was there seemingly every game his sophomore and junior year at Breslin. And they didn't offer him because they, they thought he was suspect defensively. They thought Gabe was a similar shooter. He's bigger, had more defensive potential. And Gabe's not a total bust, but he hadn't been the player Washington's been. Foster Lawyer, we all know the arguments with that one. Kithier, we all know the arguments with that one. Um, so you can come at Izzo for that stuff. Um, you, yeah, I don't know. This freshman class, I don't know. I don't want to bag on players. I I really don't. The AJ Hogarth thing is going to bug me for forever Mm -hmm. because, and it's not that Jalen Terry's been absolutely destroying it at Oregon, 
But do I think Jalen Terry would be a better basketball player to some extent than A.J. Hogart is at Michigan State? Yes. And and you can tell me that there were bag men and they were always, it was always going to end that way until you're blue in the face. And I'm going to tell you that Michigan State taking A.J. Hogart's commitment is what set that in motion. And if that hadn't happened, I would be inclined to think that Jalen Terry would be here. Mm. So there's some there's some of that stuff that comes into play too. You know, you can criticize Izzo for some recruiting stuff, some talent evaluation stuff, and again, at moments strategic. But lineup choices with this team, how they are now, no, it's point. It, you're kidding yourself. Well, let me ask you this: rather than specific lineup choices, uh, Michigan State played 12 guys this game. Is, yeah, is which is it, normal this year yeah would it be better especially in a condensed season to just roll with seven or eight guys um who do you sit (laughs) who who do you choose to play that i mean obviously that's the question that's the the tough question because that's why there's so many you know (laughs) at some point though is it more valuable to just pick one and go with it i guess that i guess that Uh, you know um Maybe, but I also, but I also know Tom Izzo and Tom Izzo has never ever coached that way. Tom Izzo was a guy who uses playing time to teach, period. And it's going to be hard to tell a guy that's in the Hall of Fame, has been to whatever he's been, eight Final Fours, I think, has won seven or eight Big Ten championships. Um, more than that. What am I saying? Uh, four, eight. No, eight, I think. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Um, no, 10, 10, whatever it is, all, all of that, that you're going to tell him that suddenly he should do it differently, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, especially I, when there's nobody, you know, he always likes to say the players determine this stuff. Well, tell me who on that roster short of, you could argue Aaron Henry and Josh Langford, um, who on that roster has said with their play, listen, you have to play me. Yeah, Who? That's, Nobody. Yeah, right. That's the problem. The problem, you know, he, he kind of said this at the beginning of the season, although I didn't, he didn't think it was going to come to this. He said, you know, it's a nice, great thing. I've got 12 guys I think can play. The bad thing is I've got 12 guys I think, uh, I think that can play, meaning there hadn't been any separation. And that's the thing. If you look at this game, I mean, look at this game. Julius Marble gets aggressive offensively and does some things. Okay. And he hung in there at least, against Trevion Williams. Okay, that's cool. Anybody willing to bet on him for the next time out? I wouldn't. I mean, I I hope I'm wrong. I hope that's a sign of great things to come for Julius Marble, but I kind of have my doubts. Not this year. I don't mean, hey, he's worthless for the rest of his career. I just mean I don't see the circumstances where I think that's going to change for anybody on this team. Hmm. You know, the guys who kind of show up, Henry's kind of the closest to being a consistent player. You know, Josh has been, especially since they've come back, I think Josh has kind of shown up relatively consistently too. Those guys are probably going to be there. But other than that, can you really point to anybody and think, yeah, they're going to show up for sure the next game? No, there's no way. So that's my – I hear what you're saying, and I've heard people suggest that, and in theory – that sounds nice, yeah. but 
it there's two things that, that that work against it. One is it cuts against everything as those ever done as a coach. And two, I don't know how you make that choice. Who sits? If you're going to go to an eight man rotation, that means four guys who played tonight don't play. Mm-hmm. So who's that going to be? Who are your four? I know everybody wants to put Kithier and Lawyer in there. Um, they're not the biggest problems. <laughs> I, I mean, and that's a hard philosophical thing to go to. Um, if you, when you, when you're building a program, because that's, that comes down to trust. You know, you're right. playing the players that deserve to play. Um, right. And that's how Izzo's always operated. That's yeah. always been his line is they make the choices, not me. Mm-hmm. By virtue of the way they play. And this team has not shown now. The, the one argument you could make now, given where they're at, if if tomorrow you said, well, Matty Sissoko is going to play more because we're out of it and we might as well get a guy who can use some game experience and minutes to see what might happen there, if we can kind of accelerate his development process a little bit. I could understand that argument did not wash with me earlier in the season. They were still playing for things. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, go ahead. I don't think there's any harm in doing that, you know. Um, but absent that, who else are you going to make that choice with? Hogard? Really? <laughs> I mean, I, I still, that's the one that just floors me because I see, uh, uh, not, not, uh, not a uh, critical mass, but I see a couple of people that are very vociferous on Twitter talking about how they think A.J. Hogarth shows all these signs. I don't know what they're watching. I've seen guys who had struggles as freshmen. Denzel Valentine's a good example. And I knew that he was going to be a player. He showed enough. I've seen nothing from A.J. Hogarth that makes me think that he's a player. Now, I want to think that he will develop over time, but that's not – look, going into next year, man, if you get a grad transfer, okay, um, or otherwise you hand the keys to Jade Nakins and you roll with it. That's how I look at it because A.J. Hogart has done nothing to tell me that he should be in that mix beyond Jade Nak- ahead of Jade Nakins. No way. Yeah, I, I'm still – at this point, when you're, what, fighting – and I know a lot of – People are saying, well, the tournament, don't even think about the tournament and everything. But you know what? The, making the tournament matters. It, it matters to Sometimes. me as a fan. You know, it really Sometimes. matters to me. It's a it's, straight years. And at this point, it's like, it's, man, some of these guys have to step up. And it's not on Izzo as, at, at, at a certain but, point. It's like, this is 22 years but, all of these teams have made Sam, the tournament. Sam, th- this game is an example of it. You say, okay, some of these guys have to step up. And of course, I, I would agree with that. And under normal circumstances, that's exactly what we'd be talking about. If Michigan State was fighting through a rough patch and it was looking precarious, we'd say, hey, some of these guys have got to step up and play better. But that's when you think that they've got it in them. This team doesn't have it in them. I'm not being pessimistic. I, I mean, at what point do you say I've seen enough? I'm the furthest thing from a pessimist or a, or a glass half empty guy in general and particularly when it comes to Michigan State basketball. But there's no stepping up coming because there's no opportunity for it. 
You know, in other years, you would have had, you'd have had a whole, you'd have had five more weeks of Izzo hands-on instructing with this team than with a team than this team's got by this point in the season. Five weeks. Mm-hmm. You don't think that matters? You'd have had those gaps I talked about in the schedule where at least for a few days in a row, you could work on Michigan State, which is desperately needed, rather than game planning. Because you got another game in two or three days. You know? There's just, there's no way. It's just not, and I, 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 you know me. I mean, I think I've earned enough of a reputation yeah. doing this stuff long enough. I am not a pessimist. If I believe that there was any reason to hope or I could see anything that suggested, okay, there's, there's an opportunity here, I'd say so. Because I want it to be true, but there's just not. The, the mechanics of what it would take with this group are just not present. So, you know, just, I think you have to, as a viewer, I think you have to watch these games understanding that. And it doesn't make them bad kids, and it doesn't mean you should be lashing out at them mm-hmm. on social media or any of that garbage that I see. It's ridiculous. These, you know, you said it, and I agree. They played hard tonight. There's not an, I don't believe these are bad kids. I don't think these are kids that are dogging it. I think they're in a very difficult situation, a lot of which is out of their, was out of their control, and now it is feeding on itself. And so you see the things like the way they played down the stretch in a game that probably, for what, 37 minutes, they played reasonably well. Mm -hmm. But the last three minutes was uh, just an atrocity. Yeah. And it's because they're, they're psychologically fragile. They are not in a state of mind where they're going to be able to rise above and make plays to win a game like that. Because you're on the road, and Purdue is a credibly good team. I don't think they're a great team, but they're a good team. Um, you might get a, you know, we saw them do it against Penn State. Against a Penn State, against a Nebraska, you know, maybe a handful of other teams, maybe one or two other teams in this league you might be able to pull that off, and Michigan State might be able to get it, but not against, not in this situation. Mm. We saw why. Every every play that needed to be made down the stretch, Purdue made a play, Michigan State didn't, period. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And and that's what we've seen all year long. And, Brian, it's not because I'm angry uh, so much. It's I feel bad for him. You know, I don't want that so, to be yeah. on Henry. I don't want that to be on Josh Langford. Right. You know, I don't. You want those guys to hold that burden. <laughs> it's not it's not hyperbolic to say it. They're going to live with that um for the rest of their lives and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't think it's set in certainly yet, but it will and it will be more and more the case the further they go on in life. Now, the good thing is for a lot of those guys um there are much happier moments that they were a big part of so it doesn't mean it defines their careers necessarily you know aaron henry uh knows what it's like to be a starter on a final four team gabe brown had a huge sweet 16 game in his career you know a lot of these guys have been part of two big 10 championships josh langford has been part of three even if he sat out a couple of them he was still part of the team um you know so 
it doesn't mean that it defines their entire MSU existence, but they are going to be known as the guys who were on that team that the streak was broken with. But by the way, I would also say there's another streak that's going to get broken. I think I've mentioned this before. The Big Ten. Um, Tom Izzo has never in his career finished below 500. Even those first two seasons when he didn't make the tournament, he was 9-9 nine and nine both years in the Big Ten. So that's a, another sign of how consistently competitive, even in down years, this program has been. And that's going to be broken almost certainly mm-hmm. uh, this year with, the, with them at 4-9. and nine. Um so it is, it is, this has to be historically one of the best years, the Big Ten this year and maybe last year. It's just incredible when you look at every team they play. There's no, you you got Northwestern and Nebraska and that is it. It's hard, it's hard for me to, it's certainly that way in recent times, in let's say the modern era. I think that you can, I think that you could look at the modern era to me where the modern era really starts is 1994 because that's the year Kevin Garnett goes straight from high school mm-hmm. to the NBA and it changed the dynamic. And this is what I mean by that. I'm old enough to remember when you had future NBA players throughout the Big Ten. I mean, up and down the league. I can remember Michigan State teams that finished near the bottom of the conference in 79-80 and 80-81 that had Jay Vincent, who was a long-time NBA player, was a a two-time Big Ten scoring champion on a team that wasn't even close to being competitive in the Big Ten. I mean, if you were a team that was at the top of the Big Ten in those days, in the 80s, let's say, typically you had multiple NBA guys. And you weren't the only team that had multiple NBA guys. There would be teams that finished fourth or fifth that could claim that. So for me, I can't, and that's also, you know, then you get into the whole, are guys better today than they were in 1980? Well, on average, yes, they're better athletically, you know, skill sets are different, all that. But just in terms of competitiveness relative to the era, um, that's a tough call. I'd have to really think about that. I think in recent times, you can make an argument that the Big Ten the last two years has been really, really, really strong. I No no disagreement. So it's a bad year for Michigan State to have this kind of team. You're right. There have been seasons where with this kind of team, you'd be more competitive. You'd probably be knocking on the door of 500 in the league, right? Yeah. So... Um, it's just one of those things, but well, you know, I mean, looking just 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 briefly looking at it, it's the Big Ten as far as efficiency rating. Uh, they're nineteen point nine one, number one out of all the conferences, and that's yeah. the highest since at least I'm looking. It's it's the highest since two thousand seventeen, sixteen. 15, 14, um, <laughs> 13. I mean, I'm not going to go back, but at least for, right. for the last so 10 years. Go back seven, eight years. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with that. It's a, it's a really good league. I just, 
when when you get into those, you know, the best ever, I, I can't go there because I just have too many memories etched in my mind of of multiple first round draft picks at any in any given year in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, let's not forget the the much lauded legendary Fab Five team never won a Big Ten championship with what was it three long term NBA guys. Never won a Big Ten championship. So, you know, what does that tell you? That's going back to the early 90s, you know. Um, So it's that kind of deal. But in recent years, in the recent era, yeah, it's it's definitely true. The league is really, really good. Look, I look at this Purdue team, and this Purdue team is kind of, you know, upper middle of the pack, I guess. I think they're nine and six in the league now. So they got a chance to probably finish with – you probably bet on 12 or 13 wins, something like that. They're a good team. You know, they've really put it together. Um, and, and I like their mix of players. You saw tonight. I mean, Jaden Ivey is becoming a problem. Yeah. You know, I yeah. thought he was really good tonight and you see how much he's added now that he's comfortable. Trevion Williams, we know how good he is. Um, the fact that Purdue, uh, Matt Painter's got to feel really good about one thing that he won this game really with almost no production from three. That's a big deal to get away with that, mm. you know, because it is it is such an important part of what they do. And Michigan State really did, for the most part, take it away, and they still didn't beat them. Uh, so just to follow up on that, uh, Rod, um, the only conference that has has been more efficient since Ken Palm started in 2002 was the 04 ACC. Wow. Okay. That's something. That, that's <laughs> I something. mean, yeah. and it's, well, here's here's the thing. I mean, you look at a team like Maryland that's not having a great year, but Maryland's got some impressive wins, right? I think they beat Wisconsin. I think they beat Ohio State. You know, so that's a team at the bottom end of the conference that still managed to beat some good teams. Mm-hmm. You know, Minnesota's done that. You know, where they've been competitive and risen up. So there's teams in that that lower stratification that have managed to jump up and bite some good teams from time to time. And then you've got that huge middle class now beneath Michigan where everybody's kind of in a jumble. You know, there's a lot of good teams there. I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, ultimately college basketball, the test of this stuff is the tournament fairly or not. That's how it's evaluated. Mm-hmm. So you've still got to go into a single elimination environment, which is, again, going to be weird, this bubble thing that's going to happen. Um, we'll see. You would think that the Big Ten, I was watching tonight, I think they had Michigan and Ohio State both as one seeds and Illinois as a two. That's pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. And presumably um, – Teams like Iowa and Wisconsin, I would think, would be in the mix for top four seeds. I would think. And, and hell, for all I know, Purdue could be knocking on the door of that. Purdue's having a nice season. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, yeah, it's, again, I guess to get back to the fundamental issue here, I think. If you're worrying about lineups and playing time decisions, don't. It wouldn't change anything. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't. I mean, all you need to – maybe the best evidence of that is we see the minute allocations change from game to game, and it's not mattering. It's not changing anything. So I just 
think you have to accept that this team, for a variety of reasons, is limited. And um, I don't think there's an equation out there that changes that mm-hmm. for this year. I'm not a pessimist long term. I don't think this is anything that can't be addressed by a more normal offseason and an infusion of players, which is going to happen. Um, but for right now, I, I just don't see the equation that gets you there. Uh, well, let's run down the keys real quick, Rod, because actually yeah. some of these aren't bad. Um, they, they, defense. they won the game. Yes, they did most of the things they needed to do to be in the game. Yeah. Yeah. The three for 12 um, for 25% for Purdue on three-point percentage. Well, the 12 uh, is the bigger number. Yeah. They only took 12 threes. That's huge. And, and they were, if I remember correctly, they were one for 10. And then they hit their last two attempts. So it was even worse yeah. for most of the game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Michigan State did a pretty good job, you know? And I thought that, look, Trevion Williams had a really good game. Trevion Williams hit some shots that were tough shots. Dakich talked about it. Give Marble and on occasion Kithy your credit. They forced him off his spots. He wasn't just chewing them up the way that he did in that game at the Breslin. Mm. I think this was a much tougher game for him than that one was, but the results were the same because he just he made shots. He made plays. Some of those some of those shots you look at and you think, man, that's not a that's not a good take. And yet they would fall. So you give him credit. But he's a hell of a player. Yeah. Uh, and then rebounding. Um you know, Michigan State did really good in the first half rebounding. Um, they wind up uh, winning the rebounding battle here. 35 to 27 total is what I have, not counting team rebounds. Um, what about offense? Uh, 11 for Michigan State, 8 for Purdue. But that's okay. about team. Yeah. I probably, I, I don't I don't have the team results in front of me either, but at worst it was probably even. Um, yeah, I thought they were, you know, I thought there were times where they really worked. You know, there was a play, they were down six, late-ish in the game. Somebody missed a shot. Joey Hauser just worked his ass off to get an offensive rebound and then found Aaron Henry for a three. That cut it back to a three-point lead. It was kind of that last hurrah mm-hmm. they had. Um, they they made a few of those plays, and I thought effort was not lacking. These guys played hard enough. Uh, and then transition. Yeah, not yeah. much. No. <laughs> not much, but that's not surprising. I mean, I say it because ideally you, you want to do that. You want to force Purdue to have to expend a lot of effort and energy getting back. But this this is what I'm going to go back to A.J. Hogarth. A.J. Hogarth just does, and, and again, it's not all his fault because he hasn't had the time with Tom Izzo that he needs. But Michigan State is a transition-based team. And he does not play with either the pace or the vision to run that effectively. Not even close. At least when Rocket's in there, Rocket may not have the greatest natural vision, but Rocket will play fast. Yeah, he has that sense of urgency. Yeah, and and pushes the ball and puts the defense under stress. A.J. Hogard does not play that way. And, and it's a problem. It's a problem for this team. And if he's going to be a guy who impacts things as his career unfolds, 
that has to change massively, massively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then turnovers, 16 to 6. Yeah, boy. And, and keep in mind, Purdue, a team that really, really struggled with turnovers all year, did a good job of avoiding them, which, okay, Michigan State's not a team that's going to force you into a lot of turnovers typically. But MSU committing 16, you, you can't do it. And they had a rash of them there at the end that inflated it. It was it was not quite that bad, but it was still a game where it was about a six or seven turnover gap when there was a game to be decided. And and that just can't happen, you know. That's If Michigan State ended up winning the rebounding battle, the turnover edge undid it and then some. Uh, and then at the rim. At times, I think they did some nice things. Um, I can think of one post-up, Julius Marble. That was about it. I can think of a lot more plays where MSU drove the ball, Julius Marble doing it several times. But there were other guys, too. Um, Aaron Henry uh, you know, had a couple of those mid-lane, which I count that. You know, Anything yeah. around the rim counts. Matty Sissoko contributed a little bit inside um you know they did some things in that area josh langford um they did some things in that area but not enough this is a this is a purdue team that just really isn't very good on the interior defensively they haven't been all year and i think you needed to test them what did msu shoot from three 44 percent. yeah so they had a good but how many attempts what were the uh, numbers? seven for 16 okay that's Boy, it seemed like more. <laughs> That's not a terrible number. I really can't come at them for getting three happy, and they shot well. Mm. That was a big part of what kept them in the game as much as they were, even with those turnovers, was the fact that they were much more productive from three than Purdue was. Um, but, I, look, I'm always going to say this team needs to do more on the interior. And to me, that's got to be a big part of whatever comes next is Tom Izzo, in my opinion, needs to re-emphasize low post play. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know who, you know, the guys are that are going to... There's, there's nobody on the roster right now other than Marble that you would look at and say, well, that's a guy who can actually do that. Um, but again, we don't know what the roster is going to look like. Could there be grad transfers? I don't know. If they're going to add a grad transfer on the interior, it needs to be somebody who can give them post offense because they, they desperately need that. You know, I did get an email from a listener um, a, yeah. a couple of days ago who met, specifically mentioned that about post players that Tom Izzo has recruited recently. And he's like, his comment was that, you look around the Big Ten and you see all these big guys, you know, these yeah. you know, seven four Edie, uh Williams, you know, all these guys. And it's like, well, Michigan State's getting post guys, but they're all like six eight, you know, Marble six eight, Kithier six eight. Um Well, okay. Um Obviously yes, Boache but, has decommitted. I mean it's not like they're not trying. Yeah, but they- Bainham's six eleven with a seven four wingspan. Right. Sissoko is six nine with a seven four wingspan. Mm. So they have recruited guys. I think the bigger thing 
is this. It's not about size so much because, look, Trevion Williams is like maybe 6'9". Yeah. He's not He's not a 7-footer. A you don't need a 7-footer. Michigan State had – it's only two years ago. Michigan State had Nick Ward, yeah. who was 6'9". He's a great low post scorer, at least. Um, I think that – and this goes back to the Bingham – Trevion Williams thing. It, it, this is just my opinion. And I was with it at the time, so I'm not going to try to rewrite history and say I was critical of it. I loved Trevion Williams in high school before he got out of shape. I looked at him and I thought, this is the next Derek Nix, except better. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he's been, you know? Um, so I was enamored of him, but I understood he got way out of shape. That had to raise questions. And Marcus Bainham really exploded. Now, Marcus Bainham was, I think, in part, a reaction to the way in which the game was changing. You know, Michigan State got Jaron Jackson. And I think Jaron Jackson caught the imagination of a lot of people because of his length and his versatility, that you had a guy who legitimately could just completely defend the rim against anybody and yet also had the ability to step out from three. That's what they believed they were getting in Marcus Bainham. Mm-hmm. And so it was about, I the think the difference that's is what, like Jaron Jackson was two forty coming in as a freshman. That was, know. yeah, but Jaron Jackson, when they signed him was not mm-hmm. Jaron Jackson added the knock on Jaron Jackson early is he wasn't big enough. Well, meaning bulky enough. He added that weight, and that's something that's hard to know. Guys just – it's unpredictable sometimes. Yeah. The way that guys can add weight or not because so many of them, and this would be Marcus Bingham, I think, are you don't know for sure until you get them into a Big Ten level nutrition and strength and conditioning program. Michigan State's had guys. Jaron Jackson was one. Jaron Jackson added good, significant good weight. Just in the off season, he spent at Michigan State in that summer. Mm-hmm. So for some guys, it happens fast. The all-time best example of it was Andre Hudson put on about 20 to 25 pounds between the end of his high school senior season and the beginning of his freshman season. Andre Hudson was considered like a hybrid, like a 3-4 guy, and he ended up being a four-year starter as a five at Michigan State <laughs> because he added good weight quickly. So sometimes it happens, and then there are other guys. David Thomas was got a little bigger, was never really able to get big enough to be maybe the player he had the potential to be. Judd would tell you that it's what it's what kept Steve Smith from being a Hall of Famer instead of just a very 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 good player, mm-hmm. you know, at the NBA level. That it was that's what kept him from that level. The strength. Um, so there, yeah. So there are guys. Weight, yeah. Weight and strength. So. You never can can tell for sure, but I think the bigger point to me is Michigan State has had started prioritizing um, length, mm-hmm. and that could come in a six eleven guy or six nine guy, but guys with length and and also preferably some potential maybe to be more versatile offensive players. Rather than, you know, there was always that, you look back over time, and Michigan State always had guys like, you know, 
Knicks. Knicks Derek Warren or Nick Warren. Matt, Matt, Co- Matt Costello. Yeah. They're not all exactly the same player, but Paul you Davis. always had yeah. Deontay Davis. I mean, Deontay Davis was maybe a little more of the new breed, but um, but still an interior player and a guy who could play with his back to the basket. He proved that in his one year at MSU. Um, they don't have that. And, and truthfully, they didn't have it last year either. Last year, a lot of sins were covered up by the fact that Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman were so good as a pick-and-roll combination mm. that they got interior offense by virtue of those guys. They did. They were not a great post-up team. Yeah. You know? So it's been like a two-year absence. So I would. my feeling would be if you're going to somehow add somebody to this roster next year on the interior, it need, and, and this is partially – it's got something to do with why I'm maybe not as bothered by the Boache thing as others are. Because from what I've seen, I'm not convinced he would have been an automatic, yeah, this is a guy who's a weapon inside. I think he's got huge potential, but it's it's not necessarily that. If you read the scouting reports on him and if you watch his clips, what's talked about is he needs to develop more of a post game. Well, that's not really solving Michigan State's ills. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he would pick it up fast, but I would rather have somebody who's who's demonstrated it. So that, to me, if you're going to add somebody, that would be what I would emphasize. Um, and and the is, it, is it a part of the be, part of the deal that there's just not a lot of guys like Nick Ward out there anymore? Well, I think it's, just it's not, true that guys it's don't want to. It's true that there are fewer conventional centers, maybe than there used to be. Mm-hmm. Or, f- or fewer guys willing to play that way than there used to be. But look around the Big Ten this year. <laughs> There's still a lot of them, yeah. right? Yeah. A lot. A lot, lot, lot. I mean, right now on Michigan State's team, a, a kid like um, – what's the kid at Northwestern? Ryan, Ryan Young. Mm-hmm. Ryan Young would look good. Not in totality because he doesn't run the floor the way Michigan State wants a five-man to run it. But as a post player – you know, that's a guy who can go – look at Harar yeah. at Penn State. I mean, yeah, there are guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, oh, it's easy to find Luke Garza, you know, but there are guys. And and I think it's, it's the way in which Michigan State has chosen to emphasize recruiting at that spot is maybe a little different than it used to be. And I understand why. But maybe that's a need that, that should be addressed because you've only got two options for next year. Either you add a new face who could do that or guys internally improve. If, if I could be convinced that Julius Marvel is suddenly going to figure out how to defend and is going to rebound the way a Michigan State five man needs to, I'd say, all right, they've got an answer because hmm. Julius Marble actually can play in the post. You know, I'm convinced of, I've seen enough of it. He can be an effective post player, but he he has yet to prove he can do enough of the other things to warrant being a 25 minute a night guy. He just hasn't, you know, Marcus Bingham. I haven't seen it. Not enough to, to feel confident in that, but, but those are guys that maybe you'd say, maybe they can use this off season to take a step forward. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, um, what do we got up next here? Um, 
They got coming up Illinois. Is that the next one? Could be. Sorry, it never pulls up as quickly as. Okay. Oh, Hoosiers, Indiana. Uh, Indiana Saturday. So In Bloomington or Breslin? At Bloomington. Oh, that's right. This was the two-game Indiana trip. Yeah, well, we'll see. Look, I, I got to tell you, Indiana's a Jekyll and Hyde team. Um, I, Trace Jackson Davis just <laughs> could be a load. There's another guy. You know, like you yeah. say, all oh, the guys are tougher to find. I don't know. Big Ten sure has a lot of them. <laughs> well, it seems like everyone in the country is just all the big guys have just flocked to the Big Ten because that's where they know that they're needed. <laughs> you know. Well, it's there. There is something to that. Look, if you're, I've said this in different ways, but if if you are a traditional back to the basket style player, there are a few places in this country that are better for you to go to than Purdue. Yeah, Matt Painter just loves it, emphasizes it. He knows how to get those guys in shape. He will get you the ball. You will be a big part of things. You won't be a screen setter, you know. And and uh, so it's a good choice. You know, Juwan Howard has shown a desire to play through the post, certainly, in, in his time at Michigan. He tried to do it last year. Didn't really have the guys that were, were really capable of that. But this year with Dickinson, it's been an entirely different story. Mm. Um, Ohio State, you know. A lot of these, a lot of these programs, they make sense. And Michigan State historically has been one too. That's what makes this so hard to accept. <laughs> is I'm yeah. looking at all of this. I look at all of the success in the post, and I think we're the guys who have done it for 25 years, and yeah. now we have no answer. We don't even try, even with the guys we've got. So, yeah, yeah but Indiana is inconsistent. So, you know, that might be one where there's an opportunity for an upset. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's obviously this team, you'd never bet anything on a, a, an outcome or a positive outcome at least. But, uh, you know, possibility if Michigan State plays well, Indiana is a fragile and inconsistent enough team that they could have a shot. Okay. Well, we'll get the uh, pregame up for that one. Uh, I haven't seen the Hoosiers yet this year, so that'll be interesting. Uh, until next time. Final four is not on schedule. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.